Welcome to the official podcast of The Unsexy Startup. This is the platform that unites founders and talks about what it takes to truly build a company and not just the highlights. With your host, Samai Parikh, and a huge thanks to Raj Singh for helping me put this podcast together. In this episode, we have the founder and CEO of Instacator, Zach Dugo, on to talk about optimism. When does it work for you? When does it work against you? And how to handle your team's optimism during dark times. Instacator increases engagement and ad revenue through interactive content, which is gamified and personalized, with the goal of enhancing viewability, purchase intent for brands. Some of Instacator's partners include Warner Brothers and Tribune Media. I've never seen another ad tech product like it, and I have to say I'm pretty excited with the path Instacator is on. Zach, I truly appreciate you hopping on the show. I'm sure the listeners will learn a few things from your story. Great to be here, Samay. So I want to dive straight into the question, Zach. Tell us more about your story and how did you transition into starting Instacator and what were you working on before then? Yeah, got started with the idea of Instacator in 2011. And the initial idea for Instacator was actually very different from what we do today, which was people could predict outcomes of TV shows and sporting events to win points for to redeem for rewards. And we had launched with that. And the idea, the, what like kind of started that idea was I was sitting around watching Mad Men with some friends and we made a bet about uh, Don Draper getting divorced. I don't know if you're a Mad Men fan or not. Uh, I've, I've not, I'm not too big of a Mad Men fan, but <laughs> yeah. fair, fair enough, fair enough. Um, so that was the initial idea behind that was driving that kind of engagement. Um, and so we launched with that and had success with that. And our idea was to kind of cross-pollinate users by partnering with these big fan communities. But then we looked at kind of testing around the idea of like taking our experience and embedding that into these different fan community websites and driving engagement there. And so we really tested that and then like we validated that film. Wow, as an embedded experience, we could drive much more meaningful content experiences. And so that then quickly became the kind of core and focus of our business. And uh, that became our focus into what we do now at Instacator. And so starting a previous company before, Zach, um, you see how unsexy it is to truly build a company. And it's, it's a lot more glorified than people really think it is. But it's okay. Uh, I mean, what made you take the second round? Were you like, this is like, this is a high, this is an addiction now. Like, even though like the grind is brutal sometimes, I had to go back into it. Yeah, that's, um, that's a very, it's <laughs> a very good question. And I uh, love the title of the podcast, May, on the unsexy startup. I would say there's something, um, there's something especially meaningful and gratifying about building something that drives value and that people use. Um, I can't really, I can't, it's hard to describe the feeling, but there's like a certain gratification around that and working with a team of really smart people to kind of achieve a common goal that is especially driving that kind of fits my personality well. But yeah, in terms of glory, it is, it is not like what you see in the movies. Um, as, as, uh, as we've discussed, it's very much, very much late nights and lots of war zones and lots of uncertain times, especially at the beginning. And it's really, in my opinion, an estimation like pure grit and determination that gets people through and is a lot of times the difference between success and failure. And so share with us the unsexiest moment of your career as an entrepreneur. <laughs> there have been many, but I will, uh, I will share one that comes to mind. Um, about a year and a half or two years in, we had, uh, we had run out of money and I was funding the company from my own personal savings. And in order to kind of keep the company afloat, this is really before we had raised kind of one of our 
first main rounds, I had to cut a lot of my employees' salary almost in half or by 30 or 40%. And that was a pretty devastating moment for a lot of our team at the time, um, and rightfully and naturally so. Uh, and I recall a time when we were sitting together actually in San Francisco and one of my team had come to me and we were sitting down and talking about it. And, um, and he had mentioned to me how he was no longer able to bring his mother from China to come and, um, and visit the United States as he was planning to because we had cut his salary. And that was especially gut-wrenching because I'd felt like I had failed him or I felt like we had like really kind of let him down as a team and a business and uh, just as a leader. And it was especially challenging. And there's so many gut-wrenching times like that. But, you know, your team is like uh, the most important, not the, you know, really the only thing that really, really drives the business. And so, yeah, that was certainly an unsexy moment, but something that we had to do and um really happy we were able to power through some of those dark times like that to then be in a like fantastic position that we are today growing revenue in the business uh, many times over we just made the Inc 5000 as the 670th fastest growing company by revenue and we wouldn't be where we are today if we hadn't powered through those ridiculously challenging times and people hadn't sacrificed to help make that happen so i have to give a tremendous amount of credit to my team and what was – have you felt like, you know, sitting down with one of your employees saying, you know, trying to figure it out after they couldn't bring their mother over here, is this a scenario or does, do companies teach you how to understand humans better or understand culture better or workforce, like just these adversity kind of moments? Like you were forced to um, – like in a sense, like this never happened before where you had to create more empathy, right? Like what – like does – do startups teach that? Do you feel like with workforce to, to, to help people? Yeah, I think that uh, startups, um, you know, I think everything is different, but especially when you go through challenging times and uh, if you become a successful startup, I think that you certainly do. Um, it's like, um, you know, you're going to war. And when you're going to war, you've got like your team that's in the trenches with you. And you're all, you know, covered in dirt and blood and sweat and tears. And it creates a bond that is hard to explain because it's kind of like a war zone. And I say that because all you have is the next like girl or guy who's in that foxhole with you. You really go through a lot together. And so it's a bond and like an empathy and a sympathy that's it's hard to explain or really unless you've experienced it, kind of what's created in those types of environments. And why do you feel a lot of um, first-time entrepreneurs are overly optimistic? Um, how could they correct their approach after hearing this episode in a way that will benefit them and not be a catharsis? Well, I think that uh, – I think a couple of things. I think it's actually good at its core for people to be – optimistic but open. So meaning in terms of like starting a company, you need to have that like optimistic viewpoint that you can create and do something that is fantastically great, but that you're open to all of the feedback from the marketplace and from what people are telling you and how can you improve and how can you iterate and how can you change and how can you bring in additional resources. So to have the optimism uh, is I think important, but it has to be balanced with like the uh, – with 
with realism, if you will, or, or like with reality and understanding of like, what is it actually going to take to achieve certain things so you can like drive towards those goals. But having that tinge of optimism, I think is good as long as it's balanced with like, okay, what do we need to do in order to actually make this happen? Or like, where do we really need to improve our product or our process? Having that realistic view is kind of key. And were there any unsexy times you felt you were overly optimistic um, within your journey with Instacator specifically, and then it turned out to be a completely different scenario. I mean, besides the whole like the employee situation, the uh, yeah, uh, there is many of those. We had initially launched the B two C platform, and we were super optimistic that that was going to be our way to reach hundreds of millions of people. Was with like a B two C web experience and like an app experience, and we were completely off on that. I was off on that. And um, we were actually able to reach those numbers of hundreds of millions of people like we do now, but it was through an embedded experience and going to where they already were. So we certainly uh, numerous times – I think it's kind of funny because I actually asked a company we work with on the financial forecasting side because going through our like 2018 projections and numbers, I was like, great. I want to make sure like we crush these numbers. And um, I was talking with uh, Justin on this and we were chatting back and forth. I was like, hey, Justin, I'm just curious. Like how many companies have you worked with? And they work with like Series A, Series B companies. Like how often do you find that like startups and tech companies like crush their forecasted numbers? He was like, well, I work with over 30. I've worked with over 30 companies. He's like looking at his head. He's like, I think maybe never. (laughs) (laughs) Meaning like – uh, if you're smart, you try to balance it in terms of like you, you've got that optimistic number, but you also want to have like, okay, well, what can we actually achieve? Is 500% realistic or like 300% growth is more reasonable or is it 200% growth? Or like understanding like you can say, hey, we want to achieve 500%, but what do things look like if we hit like 300%? Um, so I think it's good to have those balancing components so that like you can react more effectively and make better decisions. And going into my next question, which actually goes back into um, handling a team and their optimism, how do you maintain the level of optimism within a team during a cash crunch, even that product market fit, figuring it out from your experience and how do you steer through these waters? Yeah, those are some of the toughest when you're in a cash crunch and you don't have product market fits uh, like we had initially been um, because (laughs) – you're throwing stuff at a wall and you're trying to see what sticks and it's very easy to be like, wow, that's not going to work or this isn't going to – that part's not going to be – you have to have like – you have to have like an undying – I don't want to use like, you know, like reality distortion thing like a Steve Jobs term. But like you have to have like an undying like we're going to make this work and whether it's this way or this way or this way or this way, like belief. Um, you know, some people say like drinking the Kool-Aid but – But I think for your team, it's important that you have that, even though you're looking realistically at your product and like, how can we get there and how do we improve that? Um, When your team is stressed and overworked and underpaid and a whole host of things like we had years ago, it's it's one of those things where you have to be able to also have like the lighthearted, like funny moments too. I think about one where (laughs) – we were like going through like growth on our platform and the system was crashing. I think this goes back three and a half years or four years. 
with um, each new level of growth and it was me and two of the members of my team and we were at a subway in San Francisco or we were about to go to a subway in San Francisco. We'd been like working for like nine days straight. It was like a Sunday and it was like nine or 10 o'clock at nine. This was like our only break was going to be like, oh man, we're going to go to like subway. This is not a, a product fit placement thing for Subway, by the way. <laughs> Not a huge fan. It's just funny to think about that. So we're about to go to Subway. It's like 10 o'clock at night. Um, and we're just getting to Subway and we just ordered our sandwiches and get like a notification in our phone from our monitoring system that like the system was like down. <laughs> and it was like, shit. I can't even get like mayo on my turkey sub from Subway and like already and like we all started laughing because it was really actually like very like funny almost because it was just like um, the system was a mess. So <laughs> we took our sandwiches to go. <laughs> do you feel – well, do you feel that if you take it too seriously all because the, there's going to be multiple fires. Yeah. You have to learn not to take it too – like you have to learn to laugh at it because it's like the shit is going to happen anyways, right? You have to learn to laugh at it. All times, no matter what stage you're at a company, you know, it's say something funny. Just this past two days ago or on Friday, one of the members of, um, of my team came over. It was the John said, and we, um, <laughs> they came over. They're like, Hey, I got some bad news. And I was like, fantastic. Like, I'm excited for it. What is it? Because <laughs> it was, it, it, it was like, no, ultimately it was like fine. It was not the end of the world, but it's like very funny because, you're always going to have challenges, right? It just changes like what those challenges are and the different things that you're fixing and the different things that you're improving. And like no matter where we are five years from now and hopefully we're a business that's – and I really believe we're, we're on our way there. That's doing you know hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue and has multiple like really successful value-driving products. But um, you have to be able to laugh at these things because it helps – it helps with uh, the team and bonding and actually kind of like getting through all of like the different struggles. And, you know, you're now in your second round of funding. It's your Series A, right? Yep. Uh, congrats, by the way. Thank you. Um, this round requires you to scale your team out, which yep. is for founders when you get a round of funding, it's hiring the best heads and, and focusing on building culture and scaling completely. Um, how do you handle that kind of growth? Um, and get the right people to lead moving forward. I believe you were saying you got some advice from a former mentor. <laughs> you don't have to mention them, but it was great advice. I think you should share that here on team and scaling. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I I got some great I got some great advice. Um, brilliant, by the way. She's a total rock star of rock stars, and she had said to me how you know Zach, it's really important. Um, some great advice I've gotten. Don't try to hire good people and make them great. Just hire great people. Um, so I think the, the, the point is it kind of comes down to, and you hear this all the time, but it really is so true. Everything about a business is the people and hiring the best people that you can is really the most important thing that you can do. And then creating an environment where they can be happy and excited and free flowing of ideas. And, um, that's probably, I think, you know, Maybe the like the number one thing that you have as a responsibility as like CEO of a company, um, and that's really what, or one of that's really what we're super focused on right now is driving 
um, is, is bringing the best possible talent to help us really grow our business. And I'm really excited about some of the new people we've had join the team and some of the other new people that we have um, in the pipeline to join the team. Uh, because I think that they're going to add tremendous value to our existing business and really help us take things to the next level. And so to piggyback on that, the unsexiness is finding the right people for the thing. Good, good people, like great people with grit, resilience, you know, just, just a degree won't work itself. These people have to be excited, passionate on the same boat. Yep. Um, how do you motivate, how do you, what's the one thing for like these new coming founders listening to this podcast where how do you keep these people motivated though? You know, like you got them hooked in the first time and you guys are on the same vision, which is great. But now as you're scaling, how do you keep that motivation going as you're growing with from like 10 employees to 50 employees? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, well, I would say first is that when it comes to people, you got to make sure that people are a culture fit and that they're a like skill set fit and it can't just be one. So it's got to be somebody who you feel like is going to merge into your culture well and like really kick ass and has the right skill set. So like because somebody who's like amazing at one company doesn't mean they'll be amazing at another because each company is different, has its own DNA, its own way of doing things. In terms of like how that sync, because that's really important as it terms to be in terms of motivation, you, you need to make sure you're bringing on people that believe in like the broader like vision of the business. They understand where the company's going. I think having this total transparency in terms of where the product is and where the teams are and how things are growing and moving and where you see things headed as a leader over the next year to two years is like essential for keeping things, people motivated. I think another thing that's really important, and we've started doing this a little while back, maybe a year ago, and it's been essential for us, is also having a career plan for each member of your team and how you see them fitting into the growth of the business. So where does each member of your team expect to be or should they expect to be over the next five years, um, a year from now in terms of responsibilities, compensation, role, title, two years from now, three years from now, four years from now, five years from now, so that they can see also on their own personal level like, wow, I'm doing this at Instacator a year from now. Here's what the leadership team sees me doing two years from now, three years from now. There's a real growth plan for me, right? So like I think finance companies do a lot of things wrong. But one thing they do very well is like people kind of have a growth path ahead of them. They're like, hey, I'm going to be three years as an analyst and three years as an associate, three years as a VP. And they kind of get where it's going next, right? But if you join a startup and it doesn't have any – and we got this from feedback of our team that we put this into place a year, year and a half ago – it doesn't have any career path for you, right? It's like, great, I'm doing growth hacking at a startup or I'm an engineer at a startup. Cool. Where should I expect to be five years from now, right? If you have no idea, you can't answer as an individual, then like you might be in a year to like start looking for something else. And like, again, like your team's the most important thing. So having that career path and be like, hey, you're doing this right now, but a year from now, if you can achieve this, this is where we see you going as a part of the team and two years from now and three years from now. And that keeps people excited. And then like really try to stick to that plan, um, for individuals, because that like keeps people understanding, like where sh- where should they expect to be in like their growth of the company down the line? That's interesting because I see C stage companies all around me all the time, and um, I'm sure you do as well. And not many of them have like a like you know it's important to hire your first VP of sales when you're ready, right? Yeah, founders the first salesman, of course. Yep. But um, giving that trajectory, for example, for that VP of sales, I've, I haven't, I've rarely see that within startup companies or for new coming founders. So I think that's great advice people could take in. That's going to motivate people to come work for you. No, absolutely. And 
I think if you're like very early stage, it like might not be good because somebody's doing like 20 different things. It might change like week to week, like what they may be like from one area to the other. But even saying, hey, within the next six months, we're going to put together like kind of a path here for you of like where we see things going. And it helps if you have like a little bit more product market fit. But it's essential. Like I found, you know, the feedback we're getting is fantastic. I think it helps in terms of how we think about our org and our growth and try to be just transparent as you can with expectations and how do you see that person playing into the broader strategy of the company, you know? And Zach, I have a founder's question. I ask all my founders that come on the show. What is one advice that you know now that you would tell yourself seven to 10 years ago and why? <laughs> That's a great question. Seven to 10 years ago and why? I guess I would say to myself, share as often as possible with your team and everybody around you with your product and your ideas. I think initially I was, uh, we made a lot of mistakes. I certainly did, but certainly around like, Oh, should we like share this with other people and get their take? Will they try like, no, like there's people who try to steal ideas. Like it's not the way, like the real value that I think a company has is to be able to like take advantage of a gap in the marketplace and consistently, iterate their product and grow their customer base and have happy customers, not in from like not from like patent or defensibility things and like software patents are getting invalidated all the time today. And then either that or they're super narrow and there's not like super value to having it in the first place. It might be more of a distraction than anything. But that that's just my opinion. I'm not saying don't patent something if you really have something that's truly like technologically unique or I'm not a lawyer, so don't uh, <laughs> a little disclaimer on that. But um yeah, I would say share as often as you can. Also be as transparent as you can with your team and like let those ideas flow as much as possible, as early as possible. Um, like your team can be like, you know, an, is a remarkable, is a team, the team is what drives everything. Like I know that like our team at Instacator is what has brought us to where we are and can bring us to our next level. So um, share as often as you can. And uh, try to move quickly, you know, um, fail fast, fail cheaply. Fail cheaply. Go into that. Fail cheaply. Yeah. Look, if you you hear fail fast a lot, right? But I hear fail, fail fast. A fail lot. cheaply, right? So if, if you can test something and like have something validated or not for as cheap as possible, that's really good. So you want to make sure that like you're conserving resources. Um, so failing cheaply is is nice when possible. Try to find like super eat fast and and relatively inexpensive ways to validate things. It can save you a whole host of heartache and headache. In the future, or because, you know, if you're building something that people don't want or it doesn't flow well um, and it could be avoided, that's that's essential. Zach, thanks again for hopping on the podcast, my man. Oh, thanks so much, man. Really awesome. Really awesome to have been here with you and uh, best of luck to all the future entrepreneurs out there. A huge thank you to our sponsors, GoMoment and Quake Venture Capital for helping me put this podcast together. Again, if you are an aspiring or current entrepreneur, this is the podcast for you. All I ask is to subscribe and leave a comment on some founders you feel we should interview or some unsexy topics we can talk about. The Unsexy Startup is all about making this a group effort. For anyone that is interested in using Instigator, I'll provide a link in the description below. Until next episode, this is Samai Parikh signing out. Mm-hmm.